0: Guess where we're going to be? That's right. Side note, we probably won't be in Luke for the next two to four weeks. Okay? We're going to take a little break. All right? We're going to take a little break. I'll tell you at the end of the service more about that. We're going to take a little break from Luke. But today, we're going to finish chapter 18. We're going to finish chapter 18 today. Now, I'm going to read through the first section. We'll talk about it. Then I'll go back and read through the section, second section. We'll talk about it. And uh, we might actually get out a little bit early today because we got so much going on with our town hall. So I'm going to be in Luke 18. I'm going to start in verse 31. And as best as we can have it happen and technology lets us, you'll see it here, here, back there, you know, or you'll just hear it, all right? Luke 18, 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over into the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Okay. Okay. In Luke, this is the third and final time that Jesus hints to, alludes to, symbolically speaks of, what is going to happen to him? All right. This is one of three times where he lets them know, like the temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. He alludes to the end of the journey, the week of the passion. We have done all of the teaching. We have done all of the miracling. We have done all of the things. We're headed to the battle. It's the final countdown, so to speak. All right. He's laying this out there. Okay. And every time he does, he gets some kind of rebuke. He gets some kind of pushback. He gets some kind of, you know, that's not the way it's going to be. And this time he gives more details than ever before. All right. More details than ever before. And he says, this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen because you've read about it in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this, but one of the awesome, amazing, wonderful, powerful things about Jesus, one of the things that keeps me holding on when I feel, um, uh, we talked about this uh, last week in the student ministry, um, they asked me, they were like, do you, ever, do you ever doubt? How do you know? And I was like, yeah, even now uh, I'll be driving and I'll just think, and I will. It's honest. What if, what if it's not true? And if you don't have those doubts, praise be to ye, all right, because ye ye the man or the woman. But even after 30-whatever years of preaching and teaching, I have doubts, and they need to know that I have doubts, and they need to know that it's okay and that Satan does whisper. It's not okay to buy in, all right? And one of the reasons that I don't struggle, all right, is because I don't know if you know this, but in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there are over 300 predictions or prophecies about the Messiah okay it says over 300 things that he will do or that he will be right and 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 the idea is that all of for this to be true (laughs) for this to be true all of them have to come true now if you use the modern science of probability, all right, that's the likelihood that things are going to happen. How they figure out you have a one in 2.7 million chance of winning the lottery or you have a one in 750,000 chance of getting bitten by a shark, right? It's the laws of probability, right? If you use the laws of probability, okay, for one individual, one individual, all right, one man to fulfill any eight... Eight of those prophecies, all right, is the exact same probability, ready, as taking a silver dollar, putting a red check mark on it in a Sharpie, throwing that silver dollar into a pool of silver dollars two feet deep, the size of the state of Texas. Y'all tracking? If you shake them all up and grab the one with the check mark on it on your first try, that's the same probability as one man fulfilling any, any eight of those prophecies in one lifetime. Let's double it 64. The probability of any one man getting 64 of those, all right? An atom. Not visible. Take an atom, A-T-O-M, all right? Line up atoms from here to the moon. Atoms lined up from the earth to the moon. Put a little check mark on one of them. Shake them up. Pull out the one with the check mark on your first try. It's the same probability as one man fulfilling 64 of those prophecies. In one man, in one lifetime, Jesus fulfilled all. 320, 30 plus. That's just one of the reasons when I doubt, I go, yep. Knowing those things is why, all right, Jesus is saying what he says. But listen to me, because it's going to get a little odd here. Also knowing those things gets in the way, okay? These disciples did actually grow up learning, memorizing, understanding Jewish ideas, Jewish cultures, Jewish things. They look back and see their heroes in Abraham, their heroes in David. They were taught about the prophecies in Daniel, all right? They knew of the prophet Isaiah. They understood there would be a suffering servant. They understood there would be a God, a a, a son of man, a, a, a king, all right, through the prophecies. They knew all of that, okay? They had no idea that it was all going to play out in, in, in one thing. And so their knowledge was also confusing to them. When the Bible says its meaning was hidden from them, it does not mean that they weren't able to or that God was keeping them from seeing it. It means that there was something, even uh, church, even good things, even knowledgeable things, even church things in their way. Their perception of how he ought to look of how he ought to be of what the Messiah was going to be got so overblown and then that perception became their reality and then that reality became what they passed down to this kid and that kid and this kid and that kid and that's exactly why we have Baptists Methodists Presbyterians Protestants Catholics all the things because we all have different ways we see things and sometimes it muddles the water And the question to be asked is, if Jesus showed up, would we recognize him? And he tells them exactly what's going to happen for the third time. And they're like, her? I mean, Messiah. I mean, ruler. I mean, king of heaven and earth. So there will be no flogging. There will be no spitting. There certainly won't be any Gentiles doing it to him. This doesn't track with what I think. Let me just lay the sermon, this part of the sermon out now. I don't care if it tracks with what you think. I care if it tracks with the word. Let me say that again for those of you in the back. I don't care if my Jesus tracks with what you think. I don't even care if it tracks with what you want. I don't care if it tracks with what you've learned. I care if it tracks with what he says. And it's because of what he says that he is following every order, There's a reason they thrust something in inside and did not break his bones because the prophecy said they wouldn't. There's a reason for all of these things. Jesus is who he says he is, regardless of how Gentiles or religious people see him. And that is of the utmost importance over and over again i get asked one question maybe more often than any other and that question is how do i know Sometimes it's how how do I know I'm saved? Sometimes it's how do I know it's God? Sometimes it's how do I know he said it? So the, the resonating question is how do I know him and more importantly, his voice, right? I get asked that question over and over again. And there are some teenagers now who've heard it so many times that they can actually answer it. But listen to me. Run it through these four things. You may never, ever, ever, ever know 100%, all right? But you can run it through these things. You know the voice of God by listening to the voice of God more. I teach them that it's a lot like their favorite artist. Even if they'd never heard a song by, I don't know, Adam Levine, right? When Adam Levine's voice comes on... You know it's him singing a song if it's a new song. Why? Because you've heard his voice over and over and over and over and over again, right? Michael Jackson, you know the voice. You've heard it over and over again, so you recognize it even if you don't know the song. So, the more time you spend talking to, and let me interject here, and listening to the voice of God, the easier it is to recognize. But beyond that, you need these four things. Thing number one does it track with the Bible? God cannot tell you something that is opposite what it says in the Bible, okay? If God says, for the next 18 days, all over the planet, stealing and killing are completely legitimate things and within the, the confines of my heart. God cannot say that. It's not his voice. Got it? Does it track with the scripture? Number two, does it track with the person of Jesus? Can you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, the thing that God is telling me to do is are the things that Jesus would have done. It's the whole what would Jesus do idea, but don't make it an idea. Walk through the Gospels, see who Jesus was. Does it track with him? Number three, is it historically successful? Can you look back through the scriptures? Can you look back through history? This is the least of, of, of the ones, but it is still, it is still true. Don't... don't don't make the same mistakes over and over again, right? All the way through the scripture, Jesus' people did this and they did this and they did this and they did this. You know? Don't, check it. When you follow this voice, does it lead to good things? <laughs> and the last one is this. Find the people that spiritually, wisdomly, and yes, that's a word, wisdomly, speak into your life. Take it to them. Ask them, does this track with Jesus, with me, with us, with our church family, with my family, run it through the wise counsel that you have around yourself. Side note, if you don't have wise counsel around you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, all right, cool? That's how you know the voice of God. These guys walked with him, they were with him, he was training them up, but listen to me, they didn't become who they were till after Everything was fulfilled. Remember, on the way to the cross, 11 of them disappeared. One died, nine gone, one half weighted, one made it to the foot of the cross. Just remember that. That's the one we're trying to be. Jesus makes a statement. They still don't get it. Sometimes that happened, and there's the message I want you to hear from it. Now, now we come to the last healing moment in Luke. This is also in Mark, but it happens actually on the way out instead of the way in. So in Mark, this story happens on the way out of Jerusalem. In this story, it happens on the way in, all right? Was it that Luke misread it? Was it that Peter mistold it? I don't think it's either. I think the story happened. (laughs) I think it happened in the same time frame. I think it happened in the same location. I just don't know the direction they were heading, all right? What we do know is they were heading to Jerusalem, but they passed through Jericho as Jesus approached Jericho a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging track back about four weeks when we did the ten lepers and they were outside this was normal People coming into and out of town, merchants, vendors, people coming in to do business, people leaving after they've done business were way more likely to drop uh, 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 some money in a cup or to show mercy or to bring food to you if that's where you were. So a lot of people like this sat outside of the city gates. And the other reason is they were oftentimes unwelcomed in the city, even In the church, because if you were unclean, if there was something wrong with you, you were despised. You were outcast by the church. As they approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd go by, he asked what was happening. So even though he's blind, he can tell by the volume, all right, by the murmuring, by the talk, by the excitement that he could feel that there was a larger than normal group of people coming by because Jesus and all kinds of people were following him and they were coming from the city to meet him, to greet him, all right? And someone told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight, followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus took the 12 aside and said, we're going, nope, that's the, that's the last one. I thought we were done there. All right. So they also praised God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So back up here. Jesus gets to Jericho. All the people are there. He's on a mission. All right. But even when Jesus is on a mission, we find over and over again that he stops He stops at a funeral to raise a boy from the dead. He stops when a woman touches his cloak and she is healed and he didn't even know at that time it had happened. He has to ask, who touched me? He stops, all right, and he helps 10 uh, lepers. He stops and he hears the cry of this blind man. Now, I don't know if you remember, but back in a story, just a couple of stories ago, the disciples rebuked the children, right, for, for coming. They came and run to him, and the disciples like, hey, 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 Jesus loves you, but he doesn't have time for all this huggy-huggy stuff. Y'all, we got, a, we got a mission. And Jesus said, time out. I'm here. I'm here for the least. I'm here for the widows and the orphan. Remember the story I told about the Pharisee praying and praying and praying and the sinner beating his chest? Which one of them really got me that day? People who really, people who really want me. Say it again. People who really want me, find me. People who really want me, find me. So this guy, he says, man, what's going on? He says, Jesus, and they have to say Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is a common name. Hundreds of Jesus is actually in the scripture. Super common name. So they have to identify that this is Jesus, the one from Nazareth that everybody's been talking about, right? Jesus of Nazareth is here. Well, this guy's heard the stories. He hadn't seen a thing because he's blind, but he's heard the stories, all right? He's heard telltale of this man. He's heard about the, the religion that it comes from. He knows the stuff he was taught as a child, whether he was blind or whether he became blind later in the night. So he called out... Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this is incredibly important, all right? It tells us, A, that he understood the Jewish culture. It tells us, B, that he understood the conflict of the time between the King Caesar and the name Son of David, which places kingship on the head of Jesus and causes all kinds of political drama, right? Because David is the greatest king in the Jewish story, in their history, and to hand him the scepter so to speak of the greatest king says I believe you are the one come to take over I believe you are the ultimate king this one in the line of David so he causes a political stir he identifies that he knows exactly who Jesus is and he steps out and shouts it out in a crowd unafraid son of David and he doesn't ask to be seen he doesn't ask to be a part. He doesn't even at this time ask for his sight. He does exactly what we saw the last person ask for. Have what? Mercy. God of mercy. Show mercy to me. When God's mercy falls... That which is your infirmity will be covered. When you beg of God, and let's get real, guys, come on. Let's get really real right now. We pray to God, amen? Some of us before dinner, some of us before breakfast, some of us when life gets hard, some of us every day, but we, we pray to God, church people. And we want, with our hands lifted high, to pray the songs that we sing, all right? We want God to leave the 99 and and seek out our lost friend. We want God to change our lives and build our church as long as I don't have to break up with him. As long as I don't have to up the amount that I give. As long as once a week between 10.30 and 11.30 are good with you. As long as I, to be honest with you, God, there's a thing in my life that I need you to clean up and change. You know, it's going to cost me my job. It's going to cost me my marriage. But you know what? I genuinely don't want to change that. I want you, but I genuinely don't want to change that. I don't want to get healthy. I don't want to stop this habit or this hobby that I have. So God, as long as within these parameters, show mercy on me. Listen to me. It's crap. That is a crap prayer. And some of you are like, well, I don't pray crap. Yes, you do. If your prayers are contingent, they're crap. And I stand by that. When you cry out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still you give, that's our God. But if you're keeping something in your cup, there's not room for his outpouring and it's not on him. Those who led the way rebuked him. Oh, I might hear, I might not, I don't know. Used to be, I would have heard something about saying crap. My y'all are used to it now. You said, I'd heard something. You got a little feisty this morning, didn't you? If you think I was feisty, you may be the problem. I don't know. Hey, 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 brother. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Chill out. Ain't nobody got time for this. Jesus this what? If I don't have time for this, I don't have time to be. This is who I am. This is the kind of person I'm here for. I want who wants me. I want who knows who I am deep down in their being. I want who will sacrifice their reputation and every dollar they might get or might not get for me. Jesus stopped them and ordered them to bring the man. And when he came near, when he got close, when everybody else won't touch the leper, when everybody else won't touch the lame, Jesus says, get all up in here. And Jesus looked at him and he said to him, You ever sat your, your, your three, four, five-year-old right when it's time, right when they understand everything down at Christmas and said, what is it you want? You ever waited for that moment for them to open that present when they finally have something they really want, a bicycle, a pony, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, Xbox? Lord, I want to see. Now listen to me. I think about that moment because we always go, I want to see as a, it's because he's blind, right? That's what he asked for. He's blind and he wants to see. But listen, don't you think there was something inside of him that knew that the breath of God was right here? Do you think about that? Jesus pulls him close for a reason. He says, hey, what do you want from me? I want to see. And don't you think there's just a little piece of him that's going, I want to see the face of God. You bet. I don't need you to do anything. I got this. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Do you have faith that you can overcome that thing? Do you have faith that you can overcome anything? Do you have faith that when it drags out way too long and you've been lost way too long and you've gone way too far that God can't bring you home? Do you have faith? that God loves you like that. Receive your sight. Immediately. Immediately. Not after a burden, not after a request, not immediately he received his sight and followed, didn't receive his sight and go back to check and see if he still had his chest. Money, finances, not received his sight and went back and see if he still stay in the relationship. Now I went back and still see if he was allowed to drink, smoke, chew, run around with girls who do whatever, all the things. Didn't check on that stuff. He received and followed Jesus. The end. And here's what happens when people do that. They praise God and people around them praise God too. We become that kind of individuals. Then we become that kind of church. And then the people around us become a part of our praise. I'm thinking this is pretty self-explanatory. And I'm thinking I'm going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. So I'm going to pray for you. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the people returning home. God, it's fun to look over and see the teens. It's fun to look out and see the the, the, the college students. It's fun to look out and see uh, uh, people we haven't seen in months or even years. It's fun to see people who have joined our church in the middle of this contagion. God, it's just fun to see. It's fun to feel. And God, I am thankful for it, but I'm begging, I'm begging you not to make us church goers, not to make us church folks, not simply to fill our pews, but to make us yours, to teach us to receive, to teach us to believe, to give us sight. And then to bring the celebration. Give us sight. Heal us. Have mercy on us and bring us celebration. All these things I pray in Jesus' name and amen.